read from this. So hear the word of the Lord. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit. O Lord my God, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish and vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Thank you. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for... Your word. Thank you that we can gather here tonight. Thank you for the uh, Elevate ministry right next door. And Lord, just the fact that there's lots of different ministries on this campus ministering to different types of people is awesome. We give you praise for that. We pray that that freedom would continue. And so, Lord, bless us tonight as we think about Jonah and we ask for your spirit to be with us in Christ's name. Um, so we're looking at Jonah, the minor prophet Jonah. It's the fifth of the twelve uh, minor prophets. Um, and last week we saw the call to Jonah go out, and we saw Jonah run as fast as he could and as far away as he could from the Lord's call. And this week uh, we see that the Lord has captured him in the belly of a whale, belly of a fish, and Jonah is now... Uh, in a place where the Lord has seriously got his attention. Okay? And so and that's a good place to be. It's a painful place. It's maybe a claustrophobic place. Maybe a stinky place with juices of the belly of the whale going around you. But what I want to say is that is a gracious place. Because that's where God really does his work. Um, before we get into it, though, I was thinking about tomorrow. Tomorrow's Groundhog Day, right? And that's one of my favorite movies. And uh, Bill Murray, it's an old... Who, who has seen it? Okay, for those of you who have not seen that movie, I implore you to go watch it. Uh, I have a copy of it if you'd like to borrow it. But um, briefly, it's about uh, Puxatawney Phil, okay, uh, up in Pennsylvania. And... Um, what happens is Bill Murray's character, he's a weatherman, he goes up there with his team to, you know, video the Puxatawney Phil and see what's going to happen. Is it six more weeks or whatever, you know, what's going to happen with the winter? And uh, while he's in uh, this little town in Pennsylvania, he goes into a time warp. And uh, he goes through the day, he hates his job, he hates this assignment, and uh, he, you know, he's... I think he goes to the bar, and then he goes back, and he just wants to get out, and a blizzard brings him back to town. He wakes up the next morning, and he notices the Sonny and Cher song, I Got You, Babe, is on the radio again. And, uh, and so this, this is his life. He, he, 
he's a little confused about it. And the, as the movie goes along, basically he is in this time warp and he can't get out of it. So at first, he's like, he's depressed. Then he's like, hey, this is actually a good thing because I can just do whatever I want. And I'm going to wake up the next day and, and there's no consequences. And it's like, start all over again. So he's like a hedonist. He's like, he's, you know, Steve, he's trying to rob the Brinks truck. Uh, you know, he's just doing all kinds of nonsense. But then it's like, it gets old and he totally gets depressed. And he tries to commit suicide in different ways, all kinds of a variety of ways. To the point of he actually steals Puxatawney Phil, the groundhog, and drives <laughs> in a mad chase and drives off a cliff. And the car explodes. But at 6.02, he wakes up again to Sonny and Chip. And he does it all over again. Then, he, then the, the movie kind of turns. Then he's like, maybe the answer to life is like if I start being concerned about people and I, I love people and I serve people. So he, he goes on. He basically he, he tries to help this, this man who's poor, on the, you know, like, like a street person. And he starts trying to develop. He becomes kind of like a renaissance man. He learns how to play the piano. But it's all to try to like win this girl. He he was in love with his co-host uh, on the the news the news channel or the, the the producer of the news. And so finally, at the end of the movie, kind of what happens is it's only when he's like selfless, and it's only when he serves out of just pure service and not to get anything back that the day turns over, and it goes to February third. That's kind of the end of the movie. Now, it's interesting, if you go on Wikipedia and look, look at this, like every, it, all of these religions have like said, this is kind of like an allegory, like Buddhism. It's like, if you can just get it right, if you can just serve people, love people, then you will be, you will like find success, you will find blessing in life. The, Judaism says this is all about how people need to serve one another in this world, um, Catholics say this is a picture of purgatory. Uh, if you can just get your life right and serve people, love people, then you will advance to heaven. And even Christians think, well, this is kind of an allegory of what the Christian life is like. If you become selfless, then you will be saved. And what I want to say to you, and this story is a good example, that salvation is of the Lord. It's nothing you can do to like figure out life and work hard enough and do better, you know, do better in your grades, be a better person. These are all good things to do. But when it comes spiritually to how to God's economy, you can never do enough to please God. You can never do enough to get yourself out of the way, so to speak. That it, salvation is from the Lord. That's really the main point. So I want to like quickly look at this idea of the DNA of salvation. What what is salvation when it comes to the Bible. And the first thing is this, and this is really throughout. Salvation is God's actions, not, not ours. Salvation is God's action. And so it, it says, uh, you know, this verse, 2.9, says, Salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And so Jonah is a great example of this. He is not trying to save himself. He is trying to get as far away from God's saving presence as he can. He's in rebellion. He turns away. He tries to go to Tarshish. Um, he was a prophet of God, but he had been blinded. And so Jonah represents our nature. 
Jonah, in a lot of ways, represents this is what sin, the sin nature looks like. God is saying one thing, and we're saying, no, I'm going that way. Um, God is saying, love me with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and we're saying, I love myself with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. And I just want to do what pleases me. And so, it's a good example of what the Scripture speaks about our sin nature, that we can do nothing good when it comes to pleasing God. Uh, we can do good things on earth, don't get me wrong. We can do you know, valuable things. We can give to charity. We can help people. But spiritually, I'm talking about, we cannot please God with our, our works. We cannot merit. We cannot do enough to earn His salvation, His justification. We, because, like Paul says in Romans, there's no one righteous, no not one, all turned aside. Together they become worthless. Uh, there's uh, No one does good, not even one. And so Jonah is showing our rebellion. Um, but, so the whole point of this story is it's showing God's pursuit of a person who could care less about him. And it shows God, how God is trapping him and saving his life. Oh, that's okay. You can come in. Uh, uh, and so, chapter 2 is, is showing Jonah trapped in this fish, and God tracks him down, literally, and it's showing the salvation of God. What's God doing? Uh, he's making it very rough to wake up Jonah. He's making it very rough. Um, the waters, the storm, he nearly drowned. He says in verse 3, For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves or billows passed over me. Um, in 5 and 6, he says, The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at uh, the root of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. He's feeling the presence of death. He's like, it's over. And God is doing this. God is bringing him to the point where he's coming to the end of himself. Literally, a fish swallows him. And God calls, it says in the beginning of this, go back. God, the Lord, appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly. Now, what was that fish doing? If Jonah was just in the storm in the waters, he would have drowned. The fish is actually, even though it's a nasty big old fish... It's actually his salvation. The, the, the fish is actually a picture of salvation to Jonah. But without the fish, the fish is like the submarine. He's in there. And he's staying alive. And God is bringing him to the end of himself. So, But it's what God is doing. God appointed him to do all these things. Now, there's you guys may have seen this old picture. It's got like a picture of Jesus outside of a door, knocking. And it's kind of an old, historic picture. It's a famous picture. And then underneath, it's got the Revelation 3.23 passage. Behold, I stand in the door and knock. If anyone opens the door to me, um, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Have you ever seen that picture? Just like Google it. I mean, it's like, it's like one of these old Bible story pictures, okay? And Jack Miller, uh, this pastor, he's dead now in glory, but he, he, he talked about this picture of like we always think, well yeah salvation is, yes, Jesus is knocking at your door, just open a door, let Jesus come in, it's beautiful, everything's right he said, that's really not how salvation happens, 
Salvation happens like this. Jesus is outside knocking on our door. And we are inside. We're taking the refrigerator. We're throwing that up against the door. We're taking the couch. We're putting that up against the door. We're getting, we're getting the screwdriver out and screws and hammers. And we're putting boards. And then the Holy Spirit's going around the basement. And he's starting fire down downstairs. And it's starting to get hot and smoky and everything. And this is how salvation happens. Like, God makes it very... He, he convicts us of our sin. He makes it very uncomfortable. Our lives become very uncomfortable. This is typically the way people get saved. They see that, like, they're... They're going in this direction and everything is breaking down. Like nothing works. Nothing makes sense. And God is basically stirring up the fire underneath to make you realize that you are finite. You're not God. You need God. You need Jesus. And so the way we're saved is not like, hey, like typically it's not some easy thing. That God always has to convict us of our sin. Even if you're a little kid, you know, even like... You believe in Christ, but you are confronted at some point with your the fact that you're rebellious. You're confronted with, you know what, I've got my own will, I've got my own sin. And uh, I need Jesus. And so, and, and he, if you grew up in the church and it's, it, it kind of feels easy, just wait. There's going to be times in your life where you're going to be like, I can really sense my sin, or I can really, like, I need Jesus. And that, that is a good place. That is a good place to be. And so, People tend to think Christianity is a self-help project, that you can get it right like the Groundhog Day, that you can figure it out and then come to Christ, and it's not. It's Christianity is, I am a sinner, I am dead in my sins, spiritually I'm dead, I need a resurrection, I need a new heart, I need a heart of flesh, I need somebody to wake me up and to call me to repentance, and that's what the Lord does. And so the story of Jonah is showing us that salvation is of God. Not of ourselves. Um, uh, secondly, salvation is coming to grips with your idols. Okay, in this passage, um, Jonah is thinking about his life. Go to the verse uh, 8. And this is great. Verse 8. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. This is a powerful verse. Because... He's, he's confronted with the fact that he's an idolater. Okay? He's confronted with the fact that sin is basically going against, not for God, but I'm trying to put false saviors in my heart. It's, you know, idolatry is false saviors. I'm looking to false saviors to make me whole. And, and so he's being confronted with that. And, you know, for, for uh, Jonah, we said last week, it, was, it could have been things like personal peace and prosperity. God, you want me to go to Nineveh? That's like way out there. That's modern-day Iraq. That's Mosul. That's Assyria. That's our enemies. And I'm having a nice time in these secure borders of Israel. So what is capturing his heart? Maybe just like, hey, I know I'm a, I'm a prophet. I was called to be a prophet. I'm the school of prophets. But like, I want to do this. You know, it could have been just, um, you know, this idea that Israel is the best because we're the chosen people of God. And Assyria is our enemy. We hate them. 
We said last week it could have been his reputation. If they knew, if my friends around here knew that I was on a mission trip to Assyria because everybody hates Assyria, what are they going to think about me? So you see, all of these things are actually idols of the heart. False saviors that are leading him. Not Jesus, but not the Lord's leading him. Not God filling his heart, but these other ideas are filling him saying, this is ultimate. This is the God-shaped vacuum that he's filling with other ideas. And even, you know, Israel's number one. You know, the race issue. Seeing like, hey, we're the chosen people. We don't have to worry about Israel was always to worry about the nations. They were always to say, um, you know, Abraham was always to be a blessing to the nations. They were never to be say, hey, we got salvation, forget about you guys. Here's the thing, guys. That we can do, the Christians do the same thing. We can say, hey, I, I love Jesus, I know Jesus, and we've got our friend group. But God is concerned about everyone. He's concerned about the people at the University of Maryland don't know him. He's concerned about our neighbors. He's concerned about my neighbor, Jim. He's concerned about people all around us. And so the question is, again, when we read Jonah, it's like, I am Jonah. Chris is Jonah. You are Jonah. We do the same things. Uh, let me talk about this. Have you guys ever heard of um, uh, uh, David, Foster, David Foster Wallace? Has anybody ever heard? He was a... He was a a philosopher, teacher at Kenyon College, kind of a brilliant mind, wrote short stories and novels, and committed suicide uh, back around 2005. He gave a, an address to uh, the graduating class of Kenyon College, and he talked a lot about idolatry uh, in our culture. And I know this is a really long quote, but I feel like it really, he's speaking to college students, so I just want to read this. And he's talking about how everyone worships. There is no atheist because every people, have, everybody around here has God's heart that they're putting idols in. He says, there's actually no such thing as atheism. There's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship, be it Jesus Christ or Allah, be it Yahweh or the wicked mother goddess or the four noble truths, or some inviolable set of ethical principles is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you work now for the Christian, we're saying everything every, only Jesus is the only way. But he has really got a good picture of the human heart here. If you worship money and things, if they are where you, you tap your real meaning of life, then you will never have enough. Never feel you feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. On one level, we all know this stuff already. It's been codified as myths, proverbs, cliches, epigrams, parables, the skeleton of every great story. The whole trick is keeping the truth up front in daily consciousness. Worship power, you will end up feeling weak and afraid. You will never, you will never ever more power over others to, to numb you to your own fear. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart. You will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. But the insidious thing about these forms of worship is not that they're evil or sinful; it's that they're unconscious. They are default settings. They're kind of, the, they're the kind of worship you just gradually slip into day after day, getting more more selective about what you see and how you measure value without ever being fully aware that that's what you're doing. And so 
the point being here is like when you worship anything else other than Jesus, it will ultimately slowly destroy you. It will put you in bondage. It will make you a bondage of, you know, you'll, you'll be a slave to money. You'll be a slave to looks. You'll be a slave to wealth. All of these things. Jesus is the only one that will actually bless us and make us feel alive and what we're made for. So he's, he's becoming, Jonah is becoming aware that he is, his idols, these idols are what are destroying him. And so my question is, are you miserable? Even if you're a Christian, are you miserable? And could it be that some idols have gripped you? Um, and so the lesson we learned from Jonah is repent. Like, Jesus, come to me again and deliver me. Help me see what's really going on in my heart. Um, forgive me and set me right so that I'm not just like wasting my life on these things that are not our false saviors. The last thing is this. Salvation leads to prayer. He's in the whale and he looks to God. He's got nowhere else. God has finally got gotten his attention and he's crying out to God alone. He says, I cried out to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me. I cried and you heard my voice. Prayer is remembering God's work. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you in your holy temple. Prayer is thanksgiving for God's sacrifice. At the end of this, it says, But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. So ultimately, the DNA of salvation, of faith, is that it makes us turn to God and pray and cry out to Him. Prayer is a fruit that God has changed your heart. Prayer is a fruit that God's at work in you. So if you're not praying, that's a thermal, that's a that's a dangerous spiritual thermometer. And like, man, I'll go through times where it's dry and it's really hard for me to pray. And God wants us to have that close relationship. It's a testimony that we are weak, but He is strong. And so you know, and the last thing is that he's ultimately thinking about the salvation of God and the sacrifice, because he talks about um, I will offer a sacrifice for you, and that's you know that's a pointer ahead to the Lord Jesus, the ultimate sacrifice, because Jesus is saying I'm the I'm the greater Jonah, just as Jonah was in the belly of a whale three days and three nights, the Son of Man will be in the belly of the earth and rise again. And so Jesus is talking about his death and resurrection. And so Jonah understood that in the temple was the sacrifice and I was gonna and he knew he was a sinner and he knew he needed a savior. He didn't know it was Jesus yet, but he knew that God would provide. We have the Jesus, we have the greater Jonah to say, Jesus help me, forgive me, save me. That is what salvation is. It's saying Jesus alone, His sacrifice, not my works, not Groundhog Day. Jesus alone, and that sets you free from your idols. But you need to do it every day because your idols like to creep back, try to get you, pull you back into the belly of the whale. Let me pray for us. Lord, thanks for this night. Thank you for your blessings. Uh, Lord, help us to, re- to wrestle with our idols. To wrestle with, uh, the, 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 like He's saying, the default. Uh, place of our heart is to run after idols, to say, I need a Savior, but not Jesus. So show us those, help us to repent, help us to run to you, and we lift it up in Christ's name. Amen. We probably went over, but do you want to sing one more song? Yes. Sure. Sing one sure. more to close it.